joy to be here in this place with you. And I just want to say this. For those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Rob Sims. I've had to spell it my whole life because it's S-E-I-M-S. That's a real pain. But for 24 years now, I've been on Young Life staff. And it's a, it's a wonder all the different things I've, I've gotten to experience with the Lord, leaning on Him. But prior to those 24, five years, I was here. And I was the youth pastor at what was FEPSI, as the kids loved to call it, First Evangelical Presbyterian Avenue Hope. And I hold those five years so dearly in my heart. And it's been so fun to see some of you who date back to those days. And some of you haven't aged. I'd like to know what it is you're drinking. My responsible abilities now um, include I am the freshman guys leader for Young Life at Kentwood High School. Those guys are squirrely. I, I have an office down in the valley, and I minister to the people who office there, but my main responsibility is I oversee the ministries and develop ministries where we don't have ministries for young life in the great state of Alaska. Raise your hand if you've been to Alaska. Keep your hand in the air if it's because you were on a cruise. That's not Alaska. Alaska's a lot more complicated than that. And I will go to my grave asking a simple question. I believe wholeheartedly that one of the greatest mysteries on this earth is that the Lord would use schmucks like you and me to fulfill his purposes. Regular James and Joes to be his heralds, his prophets, his leaders, his teachers, his hands and feet, the one who lived out his purposes in this world. Before time began, the plan was you, was me. What is the good Lord thinking? We are so quick to discount ourselves. We're quick to make excuses. We're quick to pull ourselves out of the game. It doesn't take too long for us to get kind of stuck. So this morning we're going to take a look at Hebrews 12, the first three verses. And they go like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, lover of our soul, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts that we would hear from you. We want to hear. Speak to us for your glory, our Lord. First one starts, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And while the author, if you, if you know Hebrews, is referring to chapter 11, and the hall of fame of the faithful, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, they're all commended for one thing only. And that one thing is faith. Faith is what brings Jesus more joy than anything else. Our faith was what stopped him in his tracks when he was on earth. 
He loves when we put our faith in him and trust him implicitly. I want to ask you this, though. Who are the people as you were being raised up? Who are the people that surrounded you, that challenged you, that inspired you, that taught you? Who were those people? Was it a teacher? Was it a pastor? Was it a coach? Was it a friend? Was it a neighbor? Some names coming to mind? I hope so, because you didn't just walk into the bushes one day and all of a sudden something weird happened. There were people who invested in you. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to say those one or two names out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Steve and Bob. It is amazing then to think about that just as people invested in us, we are investing in other people. And that throws us off a little bit. But think about it now. Who are the people that have been put into your life? Who are the people that God has put on your plate for you to surround, to mentor, to inspire, to encourage? The remainder of verse 1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The race marked out for you holds within it the people that you just had come to mind. That's part of of the condition of following Christ is we get to be used by Him. We get to be infilled with His Spirit. We get to be used in the lives of people around us. So what is the race that's marked out for you? When I was in 8th grade, I ran track for the first time. I did baseball up to that point. Pitches started coming in around 80 miles an hour. They were harder to find. And my football coach, in Meeker Middle School, just down the hill, was also the track coach. And he said, why don't you come out for track? It'll be good you're a football player, really. It'll make you faster, stronger, come off the track. It'll be good for you as a football player. So I did. Let go of baseball, went out for track. He put me in every event, and I was equally mediocre in every event. I didn't quite have the endurance of the, the guys running the longer distances. I wasn't tall with the second gear like the sprinters. I didn't have a lot of spring by the height like the high jumpers or the long jumpers. I surely wasn't strong enough to put that shot put out there anywhere. I was utterly terrified of the pole vault. Don't make me do that. And by the end of the season, I'd done nothing remarkable. And so I went to go turn in my uniform, and my coach said, no, you still need that. You're in the championships. What? I did nothing well. But he explained to me, what happened? People can only do four events. You do swimming, you can do all the events you want to do. Michael Phelps has those things, trips all the all the crossing. But in track, you can only do four events. You made it to the championships in the 800. You had the 37th best time. And after everybody who really didn't want to do it because they could do the easier events, the sprints, the jumps, all that. Nobody wants to do the 800, the 1600. They're miserable. And so they pull out, and my time goes all, all, all the way down to the 16th and final entrance in the 800-meter run. And I'm miserable about it. I just want to be done with track. I don't want to do this anymore. When you think about those people that God has put into your life, I think the most amazing thing is we know it's not going to be easy. 
we know it's going to be a little hard. But if we throw off everything that is a challenge in the midst of it and lean on Christ, we can have a whole different outlook on what it's like to walk with people, to be in situations. What challenges are you facing in your life? What are the relationships? What are some situations that the Lord has put on your plate? Because the truth is, He wants to handle those things with you. It's not, here, go do it. I'll give you a grade at the end. It's, no, I'm in you. I'm with you. We're going to do this together. We're not meant to handle things on our own power. The situations that we have in our life are meant to be handled hand in hand with Him. I always picture myself as a little boy holding God's finger. We're strolling along through these situations with these people. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to prosper our faith. Plans to give you hope. Hope is the product of trusting in the Lord. We believe, we trust, and our future is secure in Him, our salvation by the cross. That's Jeremiah 29:11. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, We were created by Christ Jesus to do good, good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Nothing marked out for us. None of the people you were thinking about, none of the situations, none of those are surprised to Him. He actually put those there. Because he wants to do all the real work. He does all the heavy lifting. You find when you go through these things and people's lives are changed and the situation, we bring joy to it, or we get to serve this person. Really, he did the heavy lifting. He did all It's kind of like when I grew up out on Lake Desire and we had this couple acres and my dad wanted to park like. And so he'd get me out there and I'd, I'd help build the fire. He was really building the fire. I was seven. He'd let me use the chainsaw. That's fun as a little boy. He was really using the chainsaw. He was doing all the real work. And that's how I picture it with me and the Lord. That's how it is with you and the Lord. He's doing all the real stuff, all the hard stuff, all the stuff that we can't do. There's really no pressure on us. There's no nothing on our shoulders that's too much to carry because he's really the one carrying it. The things that are marked out for us, prepared in advance for us, are there with the whole goal of building our faith, to help us trust Him more than we did last time, and to go through it. And through it, we find that we're able to believe for bigger things down the road, in the next circumstance, in the next interaction with somebody. Look at whatever you're dealing with with great joy, because you were counted worthy by the King of the universe to walk with him through that situation. So I go home after I find out I'm running the 800 and sit down for dinner. And at dinner time at my house, I don't know what it was like at your house growing up, but it was time to talk about our day. And so I would talk about first period, what happened second period, what happened third period, you had math test go, what happened at lunch, did you just sit by a few girls, anything going on, any fights at school, sick, did you turn in your uniform? No, I didn't turn in my uniform. Why did you turn in your uniform? Because I have to use it again. I'm in the 800. You're in the 800? In the championships? Well, we should go talk about this. And what he meant was, we're going to the living room. I'd been to the living room twice before. The first time, my mom had nice things. You're a young kid. She doesn't want you bumping into the glass table. Shh, I go to the hospital. they got to get a new table. I learned about my multiplication tables there. 
I learned about the birds and the bees there. And now it's the third time we're going to talk about this race. And my dad says, what do you want? You want to talk about what hinders us, what entangles us. My first thoughts were very simple. I don't want to embarrass myself. There are guys in this race that are good at this race. I ran it once. There are guys in this race who want to be in this race. I'm here by accident. I'm in this race because other dudes didn't want to run this race. I shouldn't even be here. And how many times do we say the same things? This wasn't supposed to happen. It's not supposed to be like this. I shouldn't be in this situation. But what if it's exactly where we're supposed to be? What if this is the very thing that God knows is the next best step for you to build more faith? My simple hindered mind, I'd actually already worked out an escape plan. My thought was, there's all these people on the infield, and if things get really bad, you're running. It's at 800, so you're, everyone's kind of running in the first and second lane. If it gets bad enough, the people are right there. I can just hop off the track and start laughing. I'm not running the race. I'm just a fan. It's a perfect escape plan. How many times do we excuse ourselves in the same way? Lord, it's too hard. Lord, call somebody else. I need somebody else to help my parents. I need somebody else. I need Reuben to fix my kids. Lord, I'm not the answer. And gently, gracefully, patiently, you can hear the Lord saying to you, trust me, I've got this. Take my hand. Let's do this together. I'll handle it. I'm with you. I'm totally able to handle this. You don't have to worry about it. Let's just go together. All you have to do is trust me. So my dad asked me, what do you want? I said, Dad, I don't want to embarrass I don't want to throw up in public. I don't want, here's, Dad, here's what I really don't want. What I really don't want is all the 800 guys, they're going through, coming through the finish line, and there's that person, me, at the end. And all the crowd rises up and they start cheering. The pity clap, you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to get the pity clap. And he said, not what don't you want, what do you want? We can always come up with excuses. We can always complain and figure out what it is we don't want. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want? What I want to see. Whatever thing it is you're facing, he's asking you the same question. What do you want? And then the agent for me, I thought, well, maybe... Maybe nice to get a ribbon? How many did they give out? I don't know. I had to call C. He was a track guy. So I called him. How many ribbons? Six. Sixteen entrants in the race. Six ribbons. So my dad says, well, here's the deal. You don't know how to run this race. When you ran it before, you weren't very good at it. And... All the rest of these guys, they know how to run this race. This is a pep talk? Is this supposed to get me excited? You're a football player. You're a running back. Here's what I know. There are buses coming to pick up these people at the end. You're going to be eight, a curve row of eight, and another curve. You're way out in the weeds out here. When that gun goes off, you're going to shove, push, stiff arm, 
running back your way through that group of track guys, and you're going to get through out front, and you're going to move, 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 move. You're going to hum in that first lap. Don't use everything, but you're going to use a lot. And you're going to get such a lead that on the second lap, all you have to do is count them off. One, two, three, four, five. And under no circumstances do you let the sixth person pass you. Raise your hand if you ever did track and field, ever. Keep your hand in the air if you know that's a really cruddy plan. You gotta pace yourself. You gotta have some stuff left in the tank to sprint. There's a way to do it. But we had our own plan. And the truth is, your plan for you is God's plan for you. And it's different than anybody. You don't have to do this thing like the greatest have ever done this thing. You do your version of this. He walks with you. He shows you what you need. He helps you out. I think the thing I love to remember is that when the Israelites were standing in the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is bearing down, that all of them were thinking the same thing I like to think when I'm in challenges and with some tough people that i got to minister to and all that is, Lord, where are you? With, now would be a good time to show up. Might be like Mary and Martha. And they're calling for Jesus, and they're calling for Jesus, and Jesus doesn't really show up, and Lazarus dies, and they put him in the tomb. Lord, where are you? The master ceremonies of the wedding in Cana. Oh no, we're out of line. What are we going to do? But as we go through these situations, we know in the back of our mind, the sea is going to part. Lazarus is going to come out of the tomb. The wine is going to be exceptional. Don't excuse yourself. Don't make escape plans. Live out the race marked out for you. Verses 2 and 3 say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's the whole reason we go through this. Let us increase our faith. And consider him who endured all this so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How many times have I lost heart in the midst of it? That's the easy road. That's the wide path. Matthew 7 says, the narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. Eugene Peterson takes it a step further in the message saying the way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. That's our goal, total attention. What if we lived every moment in relationship with the Lord and every interaction, we go to McClendon's, we're Jesus on wheels. We go get gas and we're talking to the person next to us and we're blessing them, encouraging them, building them up. What if the neighbor that we know the Lord wants us to talk to we deepen that relationship, and they start to see something different in us. What if we walked with him in every situation and trusted him fully? The truth is, if we trust him, that is the way to freedom. That is the way to peace, to contentment. It's where real life awaits. Trusting him, living moment by moment, faithfully with him. So race day comes, and it's just like we talked about him out there in the weeds, the gun goes off, and I'm like shot, and I'm pushing people around. They're not calling any penalties. they got to stay on schedule. 
Guys are yelling expletives at me, four-letter words. I bust out the front. I'm going. I'm humming. And my coach comes running across the field. You're running the wrong race. Nobody runs the 800 going at that pace. I'm flying. I'm trying to keep not to use it all. The fastest I had run a 400 that year was 61 seconds. And as you come across with that first lap, they're giving you your split. And I come up to the line and I hear 57, 58, 59. I just ran the first lap faster than I had ever run one lap before. And I've got a whole lap to go. I'm in trouble. And my mom took a picture up in the stands. She's about 40 yards away. She's way up on top. It's a wide lens. You can't see anybody behind me. I'm that far ahead. I get up to the top of the corner, and the first two guys, the real 800 runners, they go flying past. Lots of, lots of gas in the tank. My stride is starting to shorten up. I feel like I've got a little dog on my shoulders. I go down the back stretch, and there was a long gap, and then the third guy passed me. And then I get to about 200 meters left. Four. I get to the top of the corner, five, and with about 100 meters left of the home stretch, now I've got a refrigerator on my back. My stride is really short, and I hear the steps of the sixth guy. As he gets kind of near me, I glance over, and he's a six-footer. Big red hair, beginnings of, he's a man! <laughs> and I've got nothing left. Sixth place. <laughs> Did it have to be paid? 
What's the race marked out for you? The people, the situations. You're surrounded by an immeasurable cloud of witnesses. A congregation here at this church is cheering for you, who's praying for you. You've got people who are in the grave praying for you. Pastor Paul Johnson, the old pastor here at this church, is praying for you. That you would get through the things with the Lord hand in hand and grow in your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Take hold of his finger. Stroll ahead. And when he delivers, look up to heaven and have a laugh. You did it. I didn't believe it, but you did it. And like David, we find ourselves down the road. Just as the Lord helped me defeat the bear. And just as the Lord helped me defeat the lion. So he helped me defeat this Philistine. He delivers Put our faith in Him. Implicit trust. Believe big. Run the race marked out for you with Him. And you will see His deliverance. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you've got a race marked out for us. Help us to keep our eyes on you so that we won't grow weary and lose heart. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.